Should be some handouts coming your way if you have not already received one. Thank you, young men, for passing these out. For about as long as I can remember, I have loved riding a bike. I have distinct memories being a very little boy and the bikes I got for Christmas or birthdays and the fun that I had on those bikes. Um, now, I think if people, most people who ride a bike enjoy that, but would anybody just say, I just love to ride a bike? Anybody, anybody like that? Okay, all right, yep, good. Okay, I have some biking buddies out here. I don't know. It's kind of like flying. You know, you're on the ground, but there's just something about it. You're moving fast. The, the air's blowing past and uh, your face, and you're seeing everything outdoors and moving along, making, making progress, and just something about it I really enjoy, as well as the, the physical aspect of it, the exercise, and uh, just a lot of memories of, of riding bikes. And then... Um, uh, Later on in, in my adult years, I started doing more distance riding out on the roads. And then when we moved here, of course, there are beautiful bike paths here to enjoy. And Faith and I went out the other day and rode from our house up to Ankeny and the new bridge over Labor Road up there and enjoyed that. In fact, we're leaving uh, later today to go up and join a, a pastor and wife, friends of ours in Minnesota, to ride the Root River Trail up there for a few days. And so we enjoy it. We love we love riding. We enjoy riding together. Um, I know Jeremiah and I have, have swapped stories. We've, we've talked to each other a little bit, especially about having wrecks, having a bike wreck, right? We've talked about wrecking on our bikes, and uh, I think Jeremiah had a little, little wreck a few weeks ago, and, and I've had a few bike crashes also, and they're not fun, and they hurt, and uh, that's, that's part of it too. Maybe I need training wheels again. I don't know. But um, I want you to use your imagination with me in connection with, with bicycles this morning. And, and we're going to get a little silly. That's okay. All right, we're going to get a little silly with this as, you, as we use our imagination and think about something related to riding a bike. So, so when you ride a bike, you use different parts of your body, don't you? Your eyes are looking out ahead to see where you're going, and your hands are on the handlebars, and your legs are, are moving, and your feet are pushing the pedals, and, and it all works together so that you can move forward. Well, let, let's say that your feet could talk. And imagine that, that you're riding your bike, and one of your feet starts to talk and starts to gripe and says, I get all the grunt work. All I do is just go in a circle time after time after time, just this rep rep repetition, the same circle over and over again, and it's hard work, and I get tired, and man, this shoe is sweaty, and, and it just gets stinky in here, and it's dark, and I'm just down here at the bottom, and when we go through a mud puddle, the mud splashes up, and I get all dirty. Man. I see that hand up there. I see those hands on the handlebars. They're in control. I mean, they are deciding and, and affecting where we go. 
and they get to enjoy the breeze up there and the cool air and they're not getting splashed with mud and dirt and all that stuff. And I, I want to do what the hand does. So let's say, let's say that the foot gets its wish. So now you're riding, let's say both feet now have been switched. Remember, we're getting silly here, right? So let's, let's say that, that your feet and your hands switch places. So now your hands are on the pedals doing this, and your feet are on the handlebars. So now you're, now you're steering with your feet. How do you think that's going to work out? Now, some people are kind of acrobatic, and you might see somebody who can actually ride like that, right? Maybe somebody does. But the normal person, it probably isn't going to last very long. I know this for sure. When it's time to reach down and, and grab the water bottle and take a drink, that's going to be a little tough, isn't it, to do that? So it's just not going to work out really well. So think about this one. What if the ear starts complaining? It says, man, I'm just out here flapping in the wind, you know? And, and really, there, there's nothing for me to do other than just, just feel the breeze whistling past, especially if your haircut's like mine, right? Feel the breeze whipping past. And I don't really have much to do. I would love to be up front, facing forward. Man, the eyes just do it all. They get to, to enjoy and see everything and... And they look out ahead and make sure the way is clear. And I wish I were an eye. So the ear gets its wish. And they switch places. So now you're riding your bike. And your ears are facing the front. And your eyeballs are pointed to each side. How's that going to work out? Well, it's okay if you're crossing the street. Because you can see both ways at once, right? It's okay if you're crossing the road. But other than that, it's going to be really tough. And you're going to be trying to turn your head this way, turn your head this way, so you can see where you're going. And it's probably going to end up in a crash. Well, we're talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today about doing your part. Doing your part. When all the parts are in their places, doing what they were designed to do, the body functions properly, doesn't it? It's true of your physical body, and it is also true of the church, the body of Christ. When all the parts are in their places doing what they were designed to do, the body functions properly. And that is Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 12. And, and starting, we're going to start with verse 11 and read down through, down through verse 20, and you're going to see how Paul uses really what is a silly imaginative example like I just tried to describe to you to make this point. So look with me. We'll pick up at verse 11. This is where we left off uh, last week. Last week we talked about the Holy Spirit creating variety in the church and how our differences actually contribute to unity. And here we're going to pick it up at verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being, one bo being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, 
but many. So stop there for a second. That, that's telling us what the Holy Spirit has done. He has put us together. He has placed you in the body of Christ. He has connected you to the body of Christ. It's a work of the Spirit of God who has not just brought you to a location to sit together with a group of people, but he has organically attached you to the true body of Christ, the church. He does that when you trust Christ as your Savior. He baptizes you. That is, he places you into the body of Christ. So you, if you're a Christian today, if you're a believer in Christ, you belong to and you're connected to the body of Christ, regardless of your background. Again, the whole variety idea there he's talking about. Now, verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased and if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. We'll stop there for today. I've been burdened to talk with us together from uh, this section of scripture regarding the church and life in the church and what the church looks like and consists of to, to guide and encourage us as we move forward as a church and pray for and work toward what God has for us here. And so we come to this section now that I'm just calling doing your part. And, and we did talk last time about how the Holy Spirit creates variety. It is part of who he is. It's, it's a, a reflection of his character, of, of being creative and creating variety. But the reality is that the differences that we have also produce problems. That's just the human reality. The fact that we are different from one another can cause problems. So let's talk about the problem with variety in the church. And the problem that Paul identifies is the issue of comparing ourselves with other people. And that's what Paul's describing in verses 15 and 16. Now, again, we know this is imaginary. Paul is, is using his imagination and in what we would call probably a silly Example, a silly way of thinking, but he's making a point. Feet and hands and eyes and ears don't complain. They don't try to switch places. They aren't discontent, are they? But people do that, don't they? That's Paul's point. People do that. People complain. People compare themselves with each other. People become discontent with their place. And that's what he's addressing here. We tend to compare ourselves to others and sometimes struggle with our role in the church and our place in the church or become critical of other people in their role, in their place in the church. And I want us to see a few results of this from, from our text. First of all, comparing ourselves with others can make us feel unconnected. 
it's, it's a way of thinking that I am not truly part of the body of Christ. So when, when Paul uses this language in, in verse 15, he says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. I'm not really a part. I'm not really connected. Verse 16, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. So that, that's what he's saying. He's saying the person who thinks this way, because I'm not something else, I'm not doing something else, I don't have some other position, some other role, not content with who God made me to be and the place God gave me in the church, he's saying you're really saying that, that you're disconnected. You're not part of what God is doing. It's, it's like the foot when you're riding a bike saying, I'm down here all by myself going around in circles and what I'm doing is not really important, not really connected to what, what's going on. It's like the ear saying, I'm, I'm stuck out here on the side. I don't really have a part in what's going on. And you can feel like you have no real connection with what the rest of the body is doing. So, so comparing ourselves with others makes us feel disconnected. And, and Paul's language also indicates that it can make us feel unnecessary. That's what he's challenging in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? He's saying, hey, they're all important. Hearing and smelling are necessary to the function of the body. If, if all the parts were an eye, there'd be no hearing. If all were an ear, there'd be no smelling. But the reality is we need all of them so all the parts are necessary. That is Paul's point. That's what he's emphasizing. Just as ears and eyes and a nose are necessary to the function of the human body, every member is essential to the body of Christ. So, so comparing ourselves to others causes problems. First, to reflect how we think about ourselves. Makes us feel unconnected. Makes us think we are unnecessary if we are thinking this way. But now it becomes even more serious because... This way of thinking isn't just something within us that affects our own attitude, but it actually reflects our view of God, our view of God. In fact, comparing ourselves to others is a challenge to God's authority and God's wisdom. Look at what he says in verse 18. And verse 18 is the major truth statement in this passage. If you want to isolate and identify the major truth statement, the declaration of truth in this passage, here it is in verse 18. Look at what it says. But now, so but, in contrast to what, to this other way of thinking, but now God has set, this is an action of God, the members, each one of them, so it doesn't leave anybody out, every individual in the body just as he pleased. So Paul says, that, that's how some people think, but now, here's the truth. God personally oversees and manages where people fit and what they do in the church, in the body of Christ. We, we saw this back in verse 11. Look at verse 11 again. The one and the same spirit works, accomplishes, all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So this is a matter of the will of God. What does this say about our attitude when we compare ourselves with others 
and become discontent with our place in the church. In fact, let's take it to, to another level. Let's think about it another way. What does this say about our view of God and our attitude toward God if we do not participate in the work of the church? If we don't get involved in what's happening in the life of the body of Christ, if we hold back, if we sit it out, if we resist, if, if we are asked or we're invited to be involved or to serve and we say, no, that, that's not for me. If we do nothing, what is that saying about our view of God? It is a challenge, a direct challenge to God's authority, to his sovereignty, and to his wisdom. Envying others' opportunities, grumbling about our responsibilities or not getting involved at all is really challenging God. That's serious, isn't it? This is serious stuff. Now, now these arise from a deeper problem. So Paul continues to, to go to the heart of this. This stems from a wrong view of God, really, and a wrong view of yourself, and especially in relation to the church, a wrong view of God and yourself and the church. So again, looking at verse 18, how would we say this positively? Well, this tells us God is sovereign, doesn't it? God has set just as he pleased, and God has a direct involvement in every individual's life and their place in the church. And, and if, if we're, we're missing it, he emphasizes it, each one of them, each one of them, just like it says in verse 11, each one individually. So God is sovereign, and he is an authority, not just generally speaking over the church, the broad, big church, or this church, but over every individual in the church, in the life of the church. That, that's all of us, isn't it, here today? So, so God is sovereign. He's an authority. And then you look at verse, verse 19. If they were all one member, where would the body be? He, he's reflecting wanting to be something that God does not intend you to be. He's saying, hey, if, if you want something other than what God has for you, how he has gifted you, where he has placed you, how he is using you, the responsibilities that, that have been given to you, and you, you are discontent and you gripe and grumble or envy or compare yourself, what he's saying here is that you want something God did not intend. And then he says, where would the body be? What does that mean? That means what would happen? Just like the bike. What's going to happen? If the feet are steering, what's going to happen? If, if the ears are face forward and the eyes are on the side, what's going to happen? Nothing good. Where, where would that bike be? Well, Paul says, where would the body be? Uh, back up just for a second. I didn't really emphasize this last Sunday, but I do want to point it out. Back up to verse 7 just for a second. So again, he's talking about how, how the Holy Spirit creates the life of the church and and distributes the abilities and the opportunities to serve in the church. And notice what he says back in verse 7. He says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one, speaking of these gifts and abilities, for the profit of all. What is profit? Advantage, benefit, blessing, progress, good. That's profit. So, so God has blessings, God has benefits, God has progress, God has good in mind for the church and for this church, 
and he distributes these abilities and opportunities to us. He places us, he equips us, he assigns us to responsibilities, not for us. Oh yeah, we get a blessing out of it too, but it's primarily for the overall good, the, the benefit, the progress of the church, right? For the profit of all. So if you go back to verse 19, what, what good is it going to do? What is the profit? What is the benefit? Where would the progress be if we all were the same kind of person doing the same thing? And the answer is we'd be nowhere, right? Again, crash, disaster, not accomplishing what God intends for us to do. So you can see how this stems from a wrong view of God and ourselves and the church. When we compare ourselves with others and when we are discontent with our place in the church or when we are critical of others, we are setting ourselves up against the sovereign authority of God. And let's remind ourselves, Jesus said, I will build my church, didn't he? And that was not just a a promise. It is a promise, but it's more than that. That was a declaration of his sovereignty and his authority. He is the Lord. He is the head. He is sovereign over the church. And and through the Holy Spirit, the triune God working together, he has divided up the work and given us all abilities and resources, and it is up to us to do our part, each fulfilling our own responsibilities, help each other out when that's needed, But it's not for our own personal satisfaction, fulfillment, benefit, anything like that. But it's all for the success of the church and the blessing of the family of God. Now, probably if if we were to take a quick survey here today, none of us would say, oh, yeah, I'm just in it for myself. And I just want to do my own thing and grab somebody else's job that I like instead of mine. But we don't normally think that way, right? Because we're believers and the Holy Spirit's helping us to have right thoughts. But we do struggle with it, possibly, in our minds, in our hearts. So, so we're not trying to push against Jesus', Jesus authority consciously or intentionally, but it can happen. So, so what is the answer? What is the way forward? What is the solution to this? And that's where I think we can again infer from what Paul said and follow the instructions he gives. An essential step for unity in the church, which is developing a right view of God. Developing a right view of God. Now, what does that include? Well, first of all, realizing that God puts you where he wants you. And again, I find this In verse 18, where it says, But now God has set. Now let's just slow down a little bit and talk about this word, because the words that the writers of Scripture use are important. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about this word set. The word means placed or appointed or even assigned placed or appointed or assigned. Let me give you two examples from Scripture of how this word is used so that you can sense the strength of this word and what God has done. Uh, Jesus said this to his disciples. Here's one example of the use of this word, set. Uh, John 15, 16, Jesus said this, You did not choose me, he said, 
but I chose you and appointed you. So that's the same word, the word appointed. So Jesus said to his disciples, you didn't choose me. It wasn't of your own initiative or your volition. You didn't say, hey, let's just follow Jesus. He says, I came after you. And we know the examples of that. We know the stories where Jesus came after those disciples, right? And he says, I appointed you. So, so he placed them. He put them. He assigned them into his, his group, his group of disciples, those who would be closely connected to him. He said, you are here because I decided to place you here with me. That's Jesus, all right? Here's another example. Paul, when he was talking about his God, God um, bringing him to a place where he was actually used of God in a special and unique way as an apostle, said this in 1 Timothy 1.12. We're talking about how this word set is used. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.12. Paul said, And I thank Christ Jesus my Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me, there's the word, putting me into the ministry. So Paul, the Apostle Paul said, Jesus Christ intervened in my life and he not only saved me but he put me into this ministry of being an apostle of being a preacher of the gospel being foundational in the the, the initial stages of of the growth and expansion of the church of jesus christ he says god placed me in the ministry god appointed me to ministry he assigned me to this ministry now t- take the the sense and the strength of how that word is used. Jesus saying, I appointed you to his disciples. Paul saying that Christ Jesus, my Lord, put me into ministry. And think about what that means here because he's talking here in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, not about those disciples, not about the apostle Paul, but about who? Talking about you, isn't it? Talking about us. So God has set and placed and appointed and assigned the members of the body, the Christians in the church, just as he pleased. Just like Jesus appointed those disciples and just like God called Paul to the ministry, he has appointed you to your place in the body. I don't want to get too far off off track here, but you know that I've, I've been a pastor and I teach students who are going to be pastors. And we talk a lot about the idea of being called to ministry. So is, is a man or is a young man called to ministry? How do you know if you're called to ministry? All right, And that, that's, a, that's an interesting topic. It's an important topic. I'm not going to go down that path, but I want you to think about that this way this morning. Are you called to ministry? If Paul used this word, I appointed the disciples. Paul said, Jesus appointed me, put me in the ministry. And this word is used of every member in the body of Christ. You have been appointed, you've been placed, you've been assigned to your place in the body. Could we say there is a sense in which God has called you? He has placed you. He has put you, not necessarily in vocational ministry like a pastor, but 
to the very same degree, with the very same sense of, of certainty, He has put you in the church to be involved, to do your part, to serve, to be engaged. I think we can say, yes, that's true. You are called in that sense to ministry. Everyone has a place and a part to serve in the church. And again, he's not, he's not excluding anybody here, any believer. And again, in verse 18, each one as he pleased. <laughs> Excuse me. So, so if we say something, God has done something in a way that it's as he pleased. There's another little phrase we use sometimes. Is it God's will? Am I doing God's will? What is God's will? We could say that God's placement and your part in the church is God's will for you, can't we? It's God's will for you. So if you want to know God's will, here it is, right here. God has placed you as a member in the body just as he pleased. It is God's will for you to be connected, to be involved, to be engaged, to be working for the good, the, the progress of the church of Jesus Christ. Would you agree with that? that? That's God's will. That's what he's telling us here. So, so a right view of God includes this idea that God puts you where he wants you, and it also includes the idea that your individual giftedness... Uh, missing something here. Well, I'll tell you what these are. Your individual giftedness is essential to the church's success. Your individual giftedness is essential to the church's success. Let's go back to the cycling illustration for a second. Um, I don't guess anybody here watches the Tour de France. Anybody watch the Tour de France? I used to some. I was more into road cycling and all that. The Tour de France is the stage race around mostly France, but other parts of Europe as well. Professional cyclists ride uh, pretty much most of the month of July. Uh, it takes them 70, 80, 100 miles a day. Uh, some of it on flat roads, some of it climbing um, high mountains. And it's just the, the, the world's race when it comes to cycling. And uh, companies sponsor teams and provide bikes for the cyclists in the Tour de France. Can you imagine how much one bike that is used by a professional cyclist in the Tour de France costs. I won't make you guess. I'll tell you. I had to look it up. So the bottom end is probably around $10,000. I'll bet nobody here has ever spent $10,000 on a bike and probably never would. Me either. I have a pretty nice road bike that was given to me, handed, handed down to me, that used to belong to a racing team. But I didn't buy it, and I, I couldn't have bought it. It's a nice bike. But, but the bikes that, that these riders use now, I mean, the components, the materials, all of it are just so, so expensive. So $10,000 is probably the low end. They can go up to $16,000, depending on, again, the materials, the components. Sometimes a specific rider you know, has uh, requests for a certain, certain configuration of a bike. So imagine... Imagine a $15,000 road bike sitting there at the starting line 
for one of the stages of the Tour de France. And all the cyclists, hundreds of cyclists are lined up. They're all getting ready to go. And there's a, there's a bike sitting there. And there's something really unusual on that bike. What, what do you think the, the, the most intricate, um, amazing part of the human body is? I don't know scientifically, but my guess would be the eye. Just amazing what the eye can do, right? The way it's designed, the way it functions, and how it transfers images into your brain, and all of that. The eyeball is just, just an incredible thing. So here is this $15,000 bike, and there's no rider in sight, but there's something on the saddle which could, the, the saddle itself can be 150 bucks, right? So there's something on the saddle. You know what it is? It's an eyeball. There's an eyeball sitting there. It's not rolling around. It's right there in the crease. It's sitting there on the saddle of the bike. All the riders are there. They're looking around. Here's this amazing bicycle, and they're sitting on the seat is an eyeball. Guess where that bike is going? Nowhere. Not going anywhere. So you have maybe the most sophisticated part of the human body and the most incredible bicycle you can imagine building. It's all sitting there ready to go, and the race is about to start. The peloton's about to move out, and everybody moves, and that bike goes nowhere. It just sits there, right? And again, that's, that's silliness. That's ridiculous, but that is Paul's point. Think of, and I'm not going to try to name any because that, that could get us into, into trouble, right? But think of what we might say is the most sophisticated, the most educated, the most uh, essential, the most incredible part of the church. Who is that? What is that role? Maybe we could come up with two or three and say, okay, there's that one member, and that one member now is driving everything, is, is guiding everything, is putting the effort into everything for the church, that one person, that one member, where's the church going to go? It's not going to go anywhere, is it? It's not. And that's the point that Paul is making here. Your individual giftedness, the variety of giftedness that is brought to the church is essential to the church's success. And that's his point in verse 19. Where would the body be? The answer is nowhere. So on the positive side, the members, every member, every kind of member, every kind of ability and gift and role and responsibility is essential, and that means you are essential to the life and the growth of Northridge Baptist Church. You are. Everybody here. Nobody excluded. I want to tie this into some, uh, some closing thoughts. And uh, if you're looking at your handout, we'll just call these takeaways or some applications. Again, these are, these are fairly general, and I hope that you can personalize these and make these your own applications based on what we've seen in this passage. And the first one is to be connected. How do you connect to the body of Christ? Well, you become a Christian. You believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You believe He died for your sins and rose again. And you, you trust Him to save you. And you, you tell Him that, Jesus, I've sinned. 
I deserve God's judgment and wrath, but I believe that Jesus died for me, and I accept you as my Savior. I put my trust in you as my Savior. And if you have not trusted Jesus Christ to save you, that's how you connect to the body of Christ. That's how you fulfill this purpose that God has for you. And that's what gives you eternal life. And when that happens, then as this passage says, the Holy Spirit baptizes you. That's not talking about being baptized in a baptistry with water. That's talking about the Holy Spirit placing you, we might say immersing you, placing you into the body of Christ. You are placed into the church, the body of Christ. You don't become part of the church just by walking in the doors or by being here on a Sunday morning. You are connected organically. Your life is connected to the life of the church by a miraculous spiritual work of the Holy Spirit when he connects you to the body of Christ when you're saved. But there is a a part in which you you have initiative that you can take, right? You attend. You get to know people. You you connect. You become a member of the church. You identify with the church's beliefs and, and the direction the church is going and say, I want to be part of that. And then, how can I help? Right? How can I help? You make yourself available. And I know many of you, most of you, if not all of you, do that. And I, I feel like some of this is just maybe a reminder or confirmation for many of you. You are connected. You are saved. You are part of the church. And, and you are available and willing. And you're very involved. Excuse me. You're very... I have to stop and cough and then talk. You're very involved. And I encourage you in that. Commend you for that. Praise God for that. But if not, that might be a step for somebody here to take. Another application is to accept who God made you to be. You might be the little toe down there in that sweaty shoe in the dark. Nobody knows you're there. But you are part of the transfer of energy from the, from the muscles through the legs down to the foot to those pedals, transferring that energy And you're a part of that, maybe a little part, maybe an invisible part to everybody else, but you're just helping to keep those legs moving, keep those pedals moving, and keep that bike moving forward. And you may think you have a very small part in the life of the church. And maybe it's lowly, and maybe it's unseen, and maybe it's grunt work, and maybe it doesn't seem to be appreciated, but you are essential to the life of the church. You may have a more prominent part. You may have a more visible part. You may be elected. You may be selected. You may be appointed. You may be invited to serve in some very specific way. You may do something that requires a lot of training and experience. You may have a different background from somebody else or or a personality or a way of viewing church and how church should be done. And, And as long as that's not in contention or adversarial with people, you can contribute to the ideas and the formation of of how things are done and help the church move forward. So, So instead of complaining or envying, accept who God made you to be and the place that you have. And trust that God knows what he's doing. Trust that God knows what he's doing. He's your creator, isn't he? And he is sovereign over your life, and he knows who you are, and he knows your 
season of life. He knows your age. He knows your health. He knows your family situation. He knows your capacity or how much you can do, the kind of responsibilities you can have. And you can trust God for that. You know, I think sometimes people in various stages of life, whether they're going through a trial or pressure on their family or health issue or sometimes age, they say, what, what can I do? What can I do? And there are many things that you can do. There was a, uh, a lady who was in the church where Faith and I were in Wisconsin, and she was an elderly widow. She lived in an apartment with her daughter and son-in-law. And uh, she was German, German background, had a little bit of a German accent and the way that she spoke, white hair, just the, the, the image of a sweet, godly lady that you can imagine, elderly lady. And Faith and I would go sometimes and visit her and just spend time with her. And one time we went to her home, her apartment, and she brought out a little spiral notebook. And it was dog-eared and, and worn and obviously well-used. And she said, I just want to show you this. This is my prayer notebook. And she had names of family, names of missionaries, names of people she was praying for. Our names were in there. Our children's names were in there. She couldn't go out and do a lot of things. She couldn't show up on church work days. But she labored, and she served, and she contributed, and she did her part in the life of that church in a way that most people had no idea, would never have seen that, would never have known that. We wouldn't have known that unless she had just shared that with us and showed us her little notebook. And that's just one example. There's so many things that people can do regardless of where you are, regardless of the strength you have, the stage in life. There's something that you can do. Again, whether it's up front, whether it's appointed, invited, assigned, or you just do it. Taking a meal to somebody going through a hard time or, or a time of grief. Speaking a word of encouragement. Giving somebody a ride to the the doctor or some appointment. I mean, there's so many little things that can be done. Make, making the, the coffee for our fellowship times. How can you have Baptist fellowship without coffee, right? Or at least some tea. I mean, these things are, are important in the life of the church, regardless of what you do. And you can trust God that he knows what he's doing in your life and in the life of the church as well. Rest in him. Don't be anxious about it. Trust him. God what do you have for me? And then be content with and committed to your place in the body. Thank you, Lord, for the place you have given me, for the part that I have, for the small, seemingly insignificant way you have given me a skill or an ability or an amount of time to serve you with or anywhere on that scale however much time or whatever level of ability, whatever combination of gifts you have, be content and be committed. It doesn't mean that we never change. It doesn't mean that we might not end up in another role sometime, another responsibility, but we don't do that for selfish reasons. I think this is very important. It's important to realize that there are others who are strong where we are weak, and who are weak where we are strong. 
We're not doing it by ourselves. We need each other. And God has brought this, this band of people together, not all having the same strength, the same skill, the same amount of time, the same education or experience, the same personalities, right? We're not the same. So we can appreciate that and, and realize that, that there's another part, there's another view, there's another perspective, there's another skill, and together we function and we rely on others and we help others and we let others rely on us. And, and I think along with that, just appreciating the others in the body who are different from you. And by appreciate, I don't mean just internally think, oh, I'm glad that person is here, but to express it, to thank them. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for, for your part in the ministry that that somebody else isn't doing and God has obviously burdened you or gifted you to do that. Thank you for that. Maybe in a, in a conversation, maybe in a planning session, maybe in thinking about the future of the church and somebody expresses a, a different opinion and you feel like that there's you, you want to disagree. Well, maybe you do, but it's also healthy to say, wow, thank you for that perspective. I appreciate your view on that. That helps us form a complete picture. That helps us think through all the possibilities and maybe some potential problems. And that works both ways, right? On two sides of an issue. So do your part. When you are in your place doing what God made you to do, the body lives and grows. People are touched. They are reached with the gospel. People get saved. They are discipled. They are added to the body. And the church is built up just as Jesus said it would be, all for the glory of God. Let's bow together. I just invite you to take a quiet minute and reflect on this. And then I will pray. Doing your part. Is there anything that God has shown you today? Maybe some way he has encouraged you. Or maybe a way that he has confronted, some way the Holy Spirit has confronted your thinking and your heart that you need to acknowledge to him and submit to him. Lord Jesus, you purchased the church with your own blood our interest in the church, our commitment to the church, our love for the church is so small compared to yours. Help us love the church like you do. Help us to love it not for our sakes, not for what it does for us. Help us to love the church because it is your body. It is your project. It is a manifestation of your character, of your grand plan for the ages. And ultimately, it brings glory to you. So help us to love it, help us to be committed to it, help us to be content in it for these reasons. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.